This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The Smart Beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from, we're in the Bahamas in particular in Nassau and in particular Paradise Island and getting even more down and dirty, we are at the Reef Towers of the Atlantis Resort here in the Bahamas. Taking your calls at 888-887-3837, that's 888-88-PETER and if you can't get through on the phones, you know the drill, you email me to peter at petergreenberg.com. With your name, phone number, question, or problem, we will solve it right here on the air. You can also follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Peter S. Greenberg or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Peter Greenberg. Lots of stuff to talk about in the Bahamas especially. I've been coming here, shall I tell you, 40 years. Um, and uh, I remember you know, hanging out here with Merv Griffin and Huntington Hartford and, and, and watching the development of this particular island, in fact. And then, of course, in 1994... Uh, Saul Kersner, who made his uh, name really in Africa, uh, purchased this resort's international property from Merv Griffin and in 1998 turned it into Atlantis. I was actually here for that opening night. What a bizarre, crazy night that was. Grace Jones sliding down a steel cable. Michael Jackson was here. Uh, Oprah Winfrey was here. Quincy jo- Donald Trump was here. Larry Flint was here. Could we get any more circus? Like uh, it was, you, name it. They were here. I even think Peter Greenberg was here. I mean, it, it was crazy, and of course they've expanded so much since then, um, and so many other things happening in the Bahamas, which we'll be talking about uh, throughout the show. But before we get to that, uh, you know, this time of the year calls for a little more awareness on the part of everybody listening to the show because it's tr- it's travel scamorama time because everybody's looking to go someplace for the summer. And you're going to start getting offers. They will either come in the mail, believe it or not. They'll come on your email. They might even still come on a fax machine um, that look legitimate because they're featuring the logos and brands of well-known companies ranging from, you know, Visa, MasterCard, Travelocity, Disney, Universal Studios, Airlines, Holiday Inn, you name it, offering you deals that seem too good to be true. And guess what? They are. I'm going to share with you something that came across my desk at CBS, and it, it says limited time only. It's got the Travelocity logo with that li- their little uh, knoll. Um, it says to all employees from the HR department. Really? The HR department? And it's offering Cancun, Hawaii, Jamaica, Bahamas, Cabo, Dominican Republic, Cayman Islands, Puerto Rico, Costa Rica, or the Turks and Caicos, a five-day, four-night trip with all meals included 
for only $149 a person. You get to choose the dates. It's a five-star resort guarantee. Uh, once you pay for it, you have 18 months to use it. Uh, children under the age of five stay and eat for free. I mean, who's on crack here? First of all, it's crazy. Uh, oh, and then it says the first 200 callers receive up to 60% off on the airfare. All right. And there's the logo for Visa and MasterCard. All right. Is this a scam? Ha! Huh. Scamorama, big time. Because if you're stupid enough to get excited by this and then really stupid enough to call them, here's what you find out. Is it $149 a person for five days and four nights? Well, sort of, except you have to book the airfare through them. And here it comes. A family of four, it's going to cost you more than $4,000. Well, there you go. You could go. Of course, you could go out and independently purchase the airfare for a fraction of that price, but that's where they get you. And if you happen to pick up the phone, as you should, and call the folks at Disney or Universal or Travelocity or anybody else, they have never heard of this. By the way, why would Travelocity send you an email to book through somebody else? That's not how Travelocity works. So anytime you have a situation where they're asking you, number one, to do this on your credit card, and they're offering you this unbelievable deal, and the real, the real key flag waiver here is that they're giving you 18 months to use your trip. That's not because they're being magnanimous. That's because they understand the credit laws. If you buy something on a credit card and don't get what you, what you contracted for within six months, actually it's within 60 days, um, you, your rights cease to exist. So that's why any travel operator that wants a huge deposit six months in advance, uh, unless they can prove to you that they have a bona fide escrow account where they can't touch that money until the trip leaves the deck or, or leaves the, the airport, your money's at risk and you're at risk. And you have no rights as a credit card holder if you book with your credit card anything above 60 days. So this has got scam written all over it. By the way, it is a scam, and yet it's being sent to a lot of people, and people look at it and go, wow, let's go. And guess what? They're either not going at a, at a reasonable rate to begin with, or even worse, they're not going at all because it doesn't really exist. And in many cases... Uh, similar programs that I've seen like this are very thinly disguised opportunities for you to be subjected to a terrible timeshare presentation in a place like you can't believe. Uh, this used to happen a lot, by the way, here in the Bahamas, on Grand Bahama Island. Uh, they would say to you, 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 you have a luxury cruise to the Bahamas. Turned out it was a ferry from, from, from Fort Lauderdale. Um, and then you'd have a luxury travel experience. They put you in a hotel that was essentially condemned, and, of course, they didn't expect you to stay there. They expected to upsell you. So the minute you saw the condition of that hotel to pay more money since you were already in the Bahamas to do that. Uh, those scams, at least in the Bahamas, have been ended. But you may have noticed that they still mention the Bahamas in this email. So they're still trying to sell stuff. I mean, who is ever going to buy into going to a place for $149 for five days, not per night? I mean, ridiculous, right? Cancun, Hawaii, Jamaica, Bahamas, from the HR department? Yeah, yeah, from the human ridiculousness department. Um, so I'm just letting you know that if you get something like that, let us know, by the way, and uh, just email me to peter at petergreenberg.com, and we'll investigate before you ever go out and purchase something like this. I will share with this you. I will share this with you once again. If it sounds too good to be true, 
Here's this news bulletin. This just in. It is. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. knows just a little bit about the Bahamas. In fact, she was born on Cat Island. Yes, yes. Portau in the south. Yes. Her name, Patricia Glinton Nicholas. Ni- I yes. know. Now, your your biography would take too long to read, but, but the point is nobody knows the Bahamas like you do because you write about it. You've lived it. Yes. Right? But for someone listening to this show who's never been here, who maybe just has a stereotypical view of what the Bahamas could be or is, Let's disabuse them of those notions for a second. Glad to. <laughs> from from a historical perspective as well as a contemporary one, what's the one thing you think people should know about the Bahamas? Well, the thing is, I think that we have provided a, a sort of translation point between the Caribbean proper and uh, North America, for example. The, because... Tourism um, projects the Bahamas as little more than sun, sand, and sea. But we are real people with a real identity, and the history that has involved so many people, a a major point of uh, migratory movements in the region, for example. But uh, the thing is, our relationship with the United States, for example, goes far more... um, It's deeper than traveling to Miami to buy new clothes and so on. Because, for example, uh, how many people know, for example, that Lewis Cleveland, who was one of the brothers of, the, of Grover Cleveland, who was the 22nd and 24th president of the United States, actually managed the Royal Victoria Hotel, our first major hotel in this country. That was built in uh, 1861. But unfo- sorry, unfortunately... Uh, Lewis Cleveland and his brother Richard died in a, a shipping accident on the way to the Bahamas off the coast of Abaco, for example. From what I've learned from history, he was a very dynamic Lewis um, manager, that, for example. And the movements between, for example, if you travel in the south of the United States, you're going to find so many relationships so many reminders of things, Bahamian, for example. And it is because we have taken things there and we've brought things back from it. And because after the American War of Independence, for example, the loyalists, the people who decided to stay British and, of course, had to be um, displaced from the United States, the majority of those were brought to the Bahamas. Of course, others went to... Um, Nova Scotia and Canada, and some went on to Britain and so on. But the point is, the major part of our ancestry today took this took stop, this route. Yeah. This had this sojourn in the southern United States. And yet, and you, I'm sure you you experience this every day here. 
people will come to visit the Bahamas. They will come to a resort like Atlantis or any of the other resorts and never leave the resort and never get out and actually see it. And never see the people. And it is one truly, if you just stay in Nassau, Nassau has its attractions. And for me, a part of that is, of course, the history. Because uh, we had the Spanish occupy Nassau for a year um, around 1782 before the matter was settled. And there was a great adventure of uh, Andrew DeVoe, uh, a man who had been part of the militia in Georgia, I believe, who did a rescue. You know, he came to Nassau with a small group of men and managed to uh, attack, successfully attack the um, Cubans who had taken occupation here. But the thing is, the joke is, the matter had been settled by the Treaty of Versailles, but he didn't know that. Word hadn't gotten out yet. He unseated the the Spanish. But, you know, what's, what's interesting is, you know, here you are born on Cat Island. Most visitors to the Bahamas will never get to Cat Island. Yeah, and that is a real, real mistake. My husband and I, Nico Mikolas, are dedicated to showing the Bahamas, showing people that there is more to this country than just Nassau. And and in fact, it gets to me when people just refer to the whole country as Nassau. We're going to (laughs) Nassau. They're missing out on a whole lot. Well, what's interesting to me about the Bahamas is and by the way, I'm challenged with this myself. Uh-huh. If somebody said to me, name the out islands, oh my right. God, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Because how many are we talking about? Ah, uh, you have over. Even two, most Bahamians don't even know. 2,300 and something islands, what we call, and islets that we call keys, and of course a, a number of rocks and so on. But you have about 30 odd um Inhabited communities. I mean, major communities, not just one or two. And we're but, not we're not just talking about Luther. We're talking about Harbor Island. I mean, no, they're, they're amazing no. stuff. Long Island, for example. Do well, Patricia, I want you to Long stay with Island. me for a second. Hold on, yes. we're gonna take a quick. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Talking with Patricia Glinton Mikolas, who, Mikolas, mm-hmm. I got it right this yes, time. You know, you otherwise you'd come across and slap me. I know you would. No. Uh, yes, you would. Uh, absolutely not. Okay. You, you, well, you, you did, you'd admonish me. <laughs> we'll talk about the out islands here because, you know, I've had a chance, and you can get there so many different ways. You can seaplane it out there. You can boat out there. Uh, there are ferries. I mean, and once you get out there, the energy level changes, the pulse changes, the sensibilities change, and all of a sudden, you know, you, f- you start forgetting about Wi-Fi for a little bit. It is, believe me. I think what people really miss out on, they don't appreciate what an archipelago is, and this is a pretty long one. It stretches for about... 500, 600 miles from the north, um, Grand Baham in the north, down to the, to the south. And the point is, because you have islands, and for many years before you had wireless, you, you know, telephones and all of this, isolation created unique cultures in these places. And it created the need for storytelling. And the need for storytelling, because 
radio, for example, was it only came in 1936. So you, you found that we preserved a lot of the um, English and the African heritage. Our, our storytelling is informed primarily by the African heritage. And uh, so we have this unique body of, of, of stories that, of course, these influences came and they met with a unique environment and, and change occurred. So we came up with the kind of hundreds of stories when, for example, we had three major uh, collectors of um, folk lore, folk tales, come to the Bahamas and all were surprised at the volume and the quality of the storytelling. You had um, Zora Neale Hurston, for example, who was with the Federal Writers Program um, in the 20s, 30s, who said that we had more songs and stories at that time than Trinidad or Jamaica or any of the other islands in the region, which is incredible. Now, the real question is, have they been preserved? Well, the thing is, I've spent, the ever since university, I've spent all that time researching, and I think I, I'm generally considered an authority on the subject. I've written extensively, um, I've written papers to present at conferences, but also, again, my husband and I have toured the islands extensively, collecting material and all this. I produced a book of original stories. It's called An Evening in Guinema, because I knew the stories because of the... Um, uh, of course, television and all that, these things are ubiquitous, and they tend to militate against storytelling because it's all presented there for you. So the thing is, I think Nico and I succeeded at doing something wonderful. The book has been its original stories based on traditional motifs, and the book has handed been Handed down, the, handed down. Yeah, and the book has been on the school, the national syllabus for... 20 years. So what you're basically saying is, if I go to school here, I'll be tested on your book. Yes, you will be. You which will is why be. I'm not going back to school. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be tested on several, about three of my books are in the schools. But you know what? The best way to audit the course is take the book with you and go visit some of those out islands. This is so important. Let us talk about some of the islands. For example, you have gems in Long Island, apart from the fact that it has beautiful beaches for those who love the sea and all of this, and unique environmental things. For example, there's this great big hole, um, blue hole, that's just off the coast, off the beach at Dean's Long Island. But, for example, you had an extraordinary thing happen in 1908, for example, where there was a great hurricane that destroyed all of the, or severely damaged, all of the um, Anglican church, parish churches. And so the Anglican bishop had a friend who was an architect. And they rebuilt. And invited, he was um, a priest, invited him to rebuild. And so this was who he turned out eventually to be, become Catholic. You know what? We're out of time. But yes. we're not out of book. <laughs> the name of the book is An Evening in Guanima. Yes. The author, Patricia Glinton Mikolas. Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. 
My next guest is the founder of something called True Bahamian Food Tours, and of course, something near and dear to her heart, Hands for Hunger, which we'll talk about as well. Alana Rogers, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me here. And you're a true Bahamian. <laughs> well, yes. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. And one of the things we actually talk about on our tours is the fact that there's no indigenous population in the Bahamas because they were all wiped out 25 years after Christopher Columbus coming across the Bahamian Islands. So we're actually... Oh, by the way, speaking of Christopher Columbus, yeah. <laughs> this guy's no hero. If you ever read the biography of Christopher, the real biography of Christopher, he killed everybody. He's he's definitely a controversial figure. He uh, killed everybody. He, he, he killed all of the Lucayan Indians who, yeah. who were our original population. And so the the point uh, that we sort of make on the tours is that we're actually a very uh, cosmopolitan culture here in Nassau in particular. There's over 50 different nationalities that are represented in the city. Which means 50 different kinds of food. 50 different uh, influences yeah. uh, contributing to what, what is our hodgepodge uh, of Bahamian cuisine today. But okay, but there is Bahamian cuisine. There is. So... so the sort of premise behind that is that we're influenced by all sorts of places around the world. So, uh, for instance, one of the major influences would be uh, the Loyalists who came here from the southern part of the United States in the 1780s, from Georgia, the Virginias, and the Carolinas. They brought their slaves with them, and they tended to set up cotton plantation economies. And to skip to the meat of the matter with respect to food... Um, no, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> no, there wasn't actually one. Um, so... Influences like Ritz or black pigeon peas, which are still consumed within the southern part that of the United States. The, that came from the south. Right? Exactly, exactly. Um, we've had many influences, of course, uh, directly from Africa, uh, as well as England. Uh, our most famous dessert called guava duff, which duff which is, is... Which is what? Guava duff. Uh, duff is sort of our Bahamian uh, jargon for dough. Uh, it's a sweet dough, which we line with local guava fruit, and then we... Uh, Oftentimes, we'll, we'll steam uh, the, the pastry um, in, in its dough and then top it with a rum, butter, brandy sauce, the way the British would oftentimes create okay. sticky toffee see, pudding, etc. See, here it comes. It's the rum. <laughs> you know, cardboard with rum is going to taste pretty good. <laughs> You might you might find that you have a lot of uh, a lot of Bahamians in agreement with that. Um, interestingly, though, rum actually doesn't have um, that much of an origin within the Bahamas outside of it being uh, smuggled through here. So we have pretty poor soil in the Bahamas relative to our Caribbean counterparts. There's a few Bahamian islands that have red, rich soil, but apart from that, we have a lot of limestone in our soil. So um, being able to grow sugarcane on a prolific basis is something that we've struggled with throughout the years. So we do have a distillery here which finishes their rum. Right. But apart from that, most rum in the Caribbean is being um, made in either Puerto Rico or Jamaica. So or Cuba. Or Cuba these days. And, and in addition to that, um, we do drink a lot of rum. And of course, Bahama Mama is a drink that everybody knows around the world. But yeah. not, not a lot of that rum is being produced here. In, in contrast, though, we do have three breweries. All right. So. Let's say I've never been to the Bahamas before. I'm, I hit the ground running here. I'm with you. What's the one food you're going to introduce me to that's going to be my most memorable experience in the Bahamas? Sure. I mean, I think almost all of us would, would tell you conch. That's our national food sure. here in the country, and we enjoy conch in a myriad of ways. So um, one of the best ways to try conch is in the form of fritters because the conch is ground. You so, know what? Yeah. It's the sauce. <laughs> yeah. It's the sauce. It's, which we creatively call conch fritter sauce, by the way. Uh, wow. But... <laughs> you, got a, you got a committee on that. Yeah. Uh, very simple. Four ingredients, ketchup, mayo, fresh lime juice, and Tabasco or some kind of hot sauce, but it, it pairs well with any fried seafood, so it can also be... Taken, taken out of context in the Bahamas. No, as well. that comforter sauce I use on everything. Yeah. You do. You just whatever. That's you want. very Bahamian of you, Peter. Even the French fries. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, you dip the French fries in this. You do. It's a special sauce. It you're, is. you're right. But but that's a good way to try uh, conch because the conch is ground, so you don't necessarily taste the texture of conch. 
uh, conch is a muscle, so unless you properly tenderize it ahead of time, it's like eating rubber. Yeah. So you can oftentimes judge how it depth. But rubber with the sauce, it works. It, it can. It yeah. can. It's like ketchup. <laughs> Very versatile. <laughs> hey, let's shift gears for a second about something that's near and dear to you, and that's the Hands for Hunger Project. Sure. Yeah. So I, uh, back in 2008, when I was in university, was one of the founders of Hands for Hunger, and I'm still involved um, on a board level, but there's an amazing team that runs that organization um, and is responsible for basically running two refrigerated trucks that are on the roads each day. And those trucks go to all the uh, restaurants and hotels, and including Atlantis, where we are now, bakeries and pick up surplus fresh food that would otherwise be thrown into the garbage, but is still perfectly edible, and redistribute that food to service agencies across the island that run feeding programs. So here's my question for people listening to the show who are travelers. Somebody who's visiting the Bahamas, can they get involved in, and work in the project? For sure. Um, there's a volunteer coordinator at Hands for Hunger, uh, which, by the way, the website is handsforhunger.org, and they can set up uh, customized volunteer opportunities for small groups, larger groups, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the cool thing, I tell these people all the time, it's a half a day. Right. It's a half a day on your vacation, and you immerse yourself in the local culture at the same time. For sure. And one of the best ways to do that is by joining the refrigerated trucks and actually being a passenger and helping uh, the driver uh, pick up the food and then take it to the agencies. And there's probably no more intimate a way to get involved in uh, our, our little island than, than that would be. And a better way to see the island. That's right. I mean, you're not just going to the backs of hotels. I mean, right. you're actually seeing the people who really need it. All parts of it, yeah. Give me the website again. Uh, handsforhunger.org. And it's very easy to get involved. You're not, you're not, you know, applying for a three-year stint in the Peace Corps. This is an afternoon or a morning, and it's time well spent because you're immersing yourself with the locals who actually live here. Exactly. And can give you the best tour possible. Alana Rogers. There you go. Keep that going. This is Flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendant's on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. My name is David, and I'm here to tell you that. Shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3, and you get the whole can. We won't take your cash. They My next guest is probably the most popular guy on the island. <laughs> uh, he's already laughing. He's the... <laughs> He's still laughing. He's the he's the general manager at John Watling's Distillery. Amen. There it is. <laughs> and his name, I'm going to get this pronunciation right, it's Pepin Armagasilla. You got it. I did. I mean, are you like one of the original rum runners here? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not one of the original rum no, runners. No, I know that. But... But, you're, but the bottom line is this really was a rum running destination. Well, this was a haven for the pirates, which yeah. were our first consumers. And then, um, during which the explains 19th... all the accidents at sea, exactly. Of course, right, yeah. <laughs> and then during the 1920s, um, you had the rum runners that used to go from the Bahamas and to go Florida through Florida, yeah, and um, through specifically a key called Gun Key, which is south of Bimini. We know Gun Key, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, we saw the Miami Vice shows, what are you going to talk exactly. about, exactly? Yeah. But it's part of the culture here, it is part, part of the culture, you know, the Bahamas has a great um culture of rum. And especially a great culture of cocktails. And yet, what's the key ingredient in rum? Key ingredient in rum is sugarcane. But there's no sugarcane here. Exactly. But um, people have always brought in the sugarcane, brought in the molasses, and basically the art of making rum is really when it comes to the blending and the aging. Now, we're talking, you said with the pirates. How many years ago are we talking about when you really first started doing this? 
Well, when when we did or when the pirates? When the pirates did it. Yeah. When the pirates, that was probably around 300 years ago, two to 300 years ago. So they had to bring the sugar cane in too? No, they used to bring the rum from the different Caribbean islands. And oh, they were just here. ripping off the rum from them. Oh, yeah. This, oh, okay, this is the land of the pirates after all. <laughs> um, but yeah, they would bring it into Nassau. And um, if you've seen um, Black Sails, um, that basically takes place in Nassau. You had Blackbeard that was here and Bonnie, female pirates, you know, Edward Teach. You know, you got a great um, history of pirates that le lived on these different islands, and they would bring in the rum from the Caribbean, from Jamaica, from Cuba, etc. And basically, as the ships were going through the Bahamas, going back to Europe, um, it was a nice little opportunity to make the rum stop. Yeah, 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 <laughs> to go on the reef and to take their their gold and to take their rum. Well, you mentioned go on the reef. Here's my deal: you have a lot of shipwrecks still out here. Anybody diving down, finding, finding old bottles of rum? Well, I don't know about bottles of rum, but I know about um, ingots of gold. <laughs> There's a lot of gold on the bottom of the Bahamas. Still. Still. Absolutely. Yeah. But when you look at the history of rum, obviously the distilling process, some of it has never changed and mm -hmm. some of it has. What's never changed? What's never changed is the, is the concept of fermentation, you know, whereby you need to have sugar in order to ferment, you pitch yeast, and basically the yeast consumes the sugar and turns it into alcohol. You know, that's the, the primary thing for all spirits and beer and wine. And, of course, there's the whole idea of aging. Yes. Um, you know, if you talk about a single malt, it's aging is a big deal. Yeah. Wine, of course. You know, what's aged in the barrel, what isn't, et cetera. Mm -hmm. What about your aging process? Our aging process, we actually um, charcoal coconut filter our rums before going into the aging. Um, at that point— Are they we, aged in the barrels? Yes, they're aged in the barrels. What kind of barrels? Used bourbon barrels. The bourbon industry. So Jack Daniels is looking for a couple of missing barrels. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but basically, the, the, the bourbon industry, they're only allowed to use their barrels once because what they're looking for is the woody taste um, in their product. What we're looking for is we're looking for the product to actually breathe through the pores of the wood and actually oxidize over time to make it smoother and mellower. And sweeter. No, not sweeter. Really? Not sweeter. When you distill, you basically remove all the sugar. You're right. um, you know, a lot of manufacturers, they actually end up adding sugar back into the product. Um, but, you know, basically after distillation, there is no sweet within the distillate. Now, dispel a myth or, or two for me, okay? Go for dark, it. Dark rum versus light rum. Well, dark, all, all, everything, once you distill something, it comes out white. It comes out clear. Um, white rum is basically a rum that you may or may not have aged. Um, some people pass it through a charcoal filter after aging to remove the color and make it clear white. Um, the dark rums, um, basically the longer they spend time in the barrel, because the barrels on the inside are actually charred, um, they will pick up the color from the barrel and from the wood. Pepin Argamasia from the John Watling Stewart. Hello, uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. We've been speaking with Pepin Argamasilla. I'm, I'm loving this name here. I'm kind of rolling with her. How long have you been in, in, in the Bahamas? I've been here around five, six years. But your, your history in the rum business? History in the rum business, um, a lifetime. 
Really? Literally a lifetime, yes. My family is originally Cuban, and um, we were in the rum business back in Cuba. Well, let's talk about that, because when, when Cuba basically closed down to the West, mm-hmm. or the West closed down to Cuba, depending on how you look at it, a lot of the rum business came here. Yeah, rum business came here, and it went um, also to the other Caribbean islands. And all of a sudden, rum itself took off even bigger as, as part of the whole cocktail culture. Exactly. What What's interesting is during, um, I think it was 1958, um, you had the Nassau Beach Hotel that opened up here on Cable Beach. And at that point... Um, That's not the Colonial. No. No, okay. no, no. no. Yeah. Um, but basically, because of that and because of the exodus of, of tourism from Cuba, you know, Americans needed a new, a new spot to come to. So they, they needed a new spot to drink. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, they came to the Bahamas, and there you had a whole um, resurgence of the cocktail culture. You know, you had great cocktails like the Bahama Mama, the Goombay Smash. Hey, stop. What's in the Bahama Mama? Oh, and the Bahama Mama, a whole bunch of stuff. Come on. <laughs> Including 151 rum, grapefruit juice, Wait, wait, wait. Grenadine. Stop, stop, stop. 151 rum? Oh, yeah. That's 151 proof? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a, Bahamians don't mess around. No. <laughs> you know, I remember going to Savannah, Georgia one day, and, and, and we went to a bar, mm-hmm. and, and they were making this drink, right? And it was like the glass was about a foot and a half tall, Yeah. right? And I'm watching them pouring every amazing thing in there, and I said... Wow, and they said, well, we did this in there and this, this. And, and I'm just watching. I finally said, does this drink have a name? Said, yeah, it's called Call a Cab. Call a Cab. I <laughs> love it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to Google that one. Um, but yeah. Oh, it's, it's Googleable, by the way. You'll, you'll I, find it. Oh, well, I can imagine. There's, oh, yeah. there's great cocktails out there. You know, one of the things that Boy, we've been. Bahama Mama. Let's go back to that. Yeah. Okay, 151. Keep going. One dark rum, light rum, 151. You have pineapple juice. You have orange juice. And I believe you have grenadine and also simple syrup. All right. And a cab. And a cab. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So there's one. Give me another one. Um, you also have the the Bossa Nova, which I am not sure what ingredients go in there, but um But after the second drink it doesn't matter. No, actually it's 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 a very refined cocktail. You know, one of the things that we've been seeing is that um people are actually drinking less but drinking better. So it's not about um, you know, grabbing these cocktails, you know, the foot longs, et cetera, and chugging it down. It's a matter of actually enjoying um, what you're drinking. You know, one of the things that we've been doing is here at Atlantis, um, we've been working um, with the F&B group and we're helping them out um, with Plato's, which is one of their one bars of the here. Yeah. yeah, and we've been doing a, a rum menu for them. And, and it's absolutely incredible how there were these great rum cocktails all the way from the 1850s all the way to today that if you go back to the original recipe and you mix them, um, what they are is well balanced. You know, the alcohol isn't, you know, screaming at you. It's basically within the cocktail, and it is a nicely. Well, you balanced... see, that's the beautiful thing about rum. You know, oh yeah, I'll have five rum cakes. Yeah. Oh yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's in there. Yeah. You know. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Isn't that isn't that the beauty of rum though? You can you can basically hide it. Well, not not even hide it. Rum it, rum different rums have their purpose. You know, white rum a white rum can definitely hide within a cocktail like a right. vodka. Um, whereas you have rums that are upwards of 12 years that are basically sippers. You know, you can sip them like a cognac or a scotch. You know, rum is the only thing that can go all the way from white to black. You know, no other spirits um, can actually do that because scotch is obviously dark. Vodka is obviously white. Um, so, again, it has a huge spectrum. So there's a lot of room to play with rum. Okay, but I'm going back to the dark versus light rum again. Because mm-hmm. everybody says, you know, like there's a, there's a brand called Havana Club, right? Yes. You know, that's from Cuba. Yeah. And everybody says, oh, I only want the dark. As if that's a big deal. Is that a big deal? No, it's not. It's not. Um, people play the age game. Um, 
it's, you know, the rum, the best rum, what I tell everybody, the best rum is the one that you like the most. You shouldn't really. Well, do come the, on. Okay. No, but it's true. Um, you shouldn't do the age game um, because you can even age a rum too much. Um, the age statements on rums are not regulated. Okay, when you say you can age it too much, I mean, we're talking, you know, you, you, you can get a 30-year-old scotch, and mm-hmm. it's okay, yeah. right? After a certain amount, mm-hmm. it begins to break down. Yeah. All right, same thing with rum. Well, the thing is that um, in Scotland and in France, where you make cognac, there they're losing around 0.5% per year due to evaporation. Here in the Caribbean, we're losing around 5% per year due to evaporation, which is known as the angel's share. Um, so again, here the aging process is greatly accelerated because of the heat. Uh, so you have to be careful that you don't over-age rum, you know, because then basically. All right. So you're perfectly aged rum is how many years? Um, we go up to I, I wouldn't go anywhere past a 12 year old. Right. You know, again, if you're going to age it wholly 12 years old, some people after every year. They'll open up the barrel and they'll top it off with new rum, but that's just a different practice. Well, that's what you do because you're just trying to help with the aging process to help everybody not lose that yeah, evaporation. No, no, no. no. We, Where is he yeah. helping in the evaporation process? <laughs> no, uh, we, we age wholly. When we say we're two, three, four, we're up to five years right now, um, we'll age our And that's a good range. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now our radio clearance over. That's Clarence over. Over. Roger. The third season of Peter Greenberg's public television series, The Travel Detective, premieres this month. And as in every season, the program was shot all over the world, giving you critical, essential information about everything from understanding frequent flyer miles to how the best tour operators train their guides. While we gear up for Season 3, we invite you to go to www.trafalgarcontest.com and enter to win the grand prize of a Trafalgar Europe vacation. Or you can always visit our website, petergreenberg.com, for more information. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Timing is everything, especially when it comes to, um, to this part of the world. Uh, I'm working on a, on a book right now called The Off-Season, sort of a contrarian traveler's guide to go where everybody tells you not to. Uh, and, uh, you know, the summer months in the Caribbean, everything's at the off-season. Let me tell you something about the off-season. You know who started the off-season? A bunch of crazed garmentos in New York who were freezing their you-know-whats off in February going, oh, let's let's leave New York. And then all of a sudden, that became high season in the Caribbean. You couldn't pay me to come down here with escaped garmentos from New York in February. I'd rather come down in June, July, and August, even September. Yes, the thermometer's about six degrees warmer, but guess what? Better service, better deals, and you know what? Better experience. Uh, and the prices are better. Uh, in fact, here they've got a deal if you book before May 31st, you get $250 in instant savings from coming down here um, then because, let's face it, they've got some rooms to fill. And who wants to stand in a long line? That's the big deal. And uh, so I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there because you will find that, by the way, those kinds of deals throughout the Caribbean in the off-season months. The off-season is a myth. Attention all Garmentos. We're outing you because we don't need to come where you are going. All right, I'm nothing against the Garmentos, but it's against numbers. 
joining me now is somebody who understands the offseason. <laughs> How about that for a for an intro, intro right? right? I know. Tazia Rutherford, who runs the marine mammal operation here. You know, I came down here when they opened this resort right. back in 1998. And I was I actually came down before when they were building it. And what was amazing to me is how you had to build the infrastructure and you had to think so far ahead. Oh, yeah. Because otherwise, you're going to kill things. I mean, oh, it, yeah. right? I yeah, mean for sure. you have to give them a habitat that makes sense for them, not for you. Not just that, but a habitat that you can maintain for an extended period of time. It can't just work for right now, but, you know, should there be weather changes and things of that sort, what's going to happen then? Is it something that we can modify, something we can enhance? you got to think so far in the future. Now, you're out of Tampa. Yeah. Right? Yeah. How'd you get here? Well, don't, I, and don't say you flew. <laughs> I, I came in on the back of a dolphin. No, um, I'm, I'm actually Bahamian. I, I studied biology in, in Tampa, and I consider it my second home. Um, interesting thing about Tampa, worst pollen problem in the world. So I if you got allergies, you got well, a problem. Let me tell, get I didn't, out of there. I didn't know I had allergies until I went there. <laughs> Time to come back. Right. But when you're doing this, uh, an operation like this, yeah. how many... How many different species are we talking about that people can come and see right now? At the moment, well, see, now now you've really done it. Because if you, if you talk specifically dolphin key, we have one species of dolphin, two species of sea lion, and three species of bird. But if you're talking about in the aquarium, you're talking thousands. It's the largest open-air habitat. And, you know, when you're talking about the largest open-air habitat, the thing that would be the challenge for me is to figure out, you know, who's eating whom? Right. Because if you put the wrong guys in there, it's it's not going to be pretty. Is it? Well, there's there's a feeding schedule. Everybody's pretty much taken care of. Um, and what people fail to forget with with animals, they're instinctual. They only hunt because they need to eat. So if they're fed, everybody's just chilling. So don't forget to feed them. Well, of course. I know. You can't do a shark walk if you don't feed the sharks first. A shark what? Walk. Explain, please. Okay. So it's an experience where you um, are you familiar with snuba? Of course, of course. I'm just asking, man. It's yeah. Okay, so you look stupid, but it's fun. Yes, it you is. You look stupid. Come it, on. Yeah. Come on. It, you do. It, looking at it from a distance, it looks stupid, and then you put it on, you feel kind of the same. So it's fulfilling. Okay, fine. Go ahead. Yep. Um, and you take a walk through our aquarium through the dig, and you literally walk with the sharks. You become a part of the. You walk with very well-fed sharks. Experienced sharks. They <laughs> they know the routine. <laughs> They understand what's going on, what the purpose of it is. Right. Don't eat the snuba person. Yes. Okay. Yes. Good. The snuba person um, indirectly pays for the fish that you eat, so let's not eat the snuba person. Well, you explain the chain to them. <laughs> Have a heart-to-heart -heart with the sharks. That's important. That's a part of the bonding experience. Well, you know, uh, we, we recently did a one-hour special in Ecuador with the president of Ecuador, and he and I went to the Galapagos together and went diving with the sharks, no cage. Yeah. And you can do that. Mm -hmm. People people forget. They all they see the movie Jaws and they think it's all over. Well, like I said, in, in, instinctually, animals hunt when they need to feed. Outside of that, they're no bother to anybody. If you go to any major aquarium and they talk about sharks, they'll tell you the major reason that a shark would bite a person is because they have mistaken the person for something else, typically a turtle. Right. Somebody that's on a surfboard from underneath the water looks like a turtle. Right. So if you're snuba diving, <laughs> you just look you're weird. A, you're a turtle with a big piece of apparatus in your head. You just look weird at that point. Sharks <laughs> probably swim by like, what? Now, 
obviously there's the water slide here, which is always kind of fun. Yes. And yes. not dangerous at all. It's just it's the whole idea that you're being surrounded by sharks. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. You, you, it's, the, it's the sensation, the thrill. For a lot of people, they don't realize that that's the ending part of the slide. They just know it's a slide. So when they get there, it's, it's this big thrill, thrill ride because they see the sharks all of a sudden. It's like, whoa. Is there a species that you had to remove? Um, from from the aquarium, yeah. Species of shark, or, or species of any any kind of fish. Um, we've had manta rays that we've had to remove because they their wingspan has become too large. The real estate just in the handle, yeah. Thirteen, fourteen feet uh, uh, manta rays that we've had uh -huh. to remove, and we can we can actually kind of monitor them from a distance. We've we've done it with our turtles as well, just to ensure looking at their travel patterns and making things making sure everything's okay. And it's, it's a, it's a great help, actually. It helps us to learn more about the animals in the wild. Well, the bottom line is if I put on the snooba gear, you'll let me walk with sharks that are very well fed. Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Joining me now, someone who knows a little bit about the Bahamas. He's the past president of the Bahamas Historical Society, but the most important thing is he came from England 47 years ago. So he knows a little bit about this place. Jim Lawler, how are you, sir? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. So you've seen so many of the changes here. I have. Um, and But most people who are visiting the Bahamas, and we've talked about this earlier in the show, but I'll bring it up again, they never tend to leave the resorts. They stay on the beach or they stay at the resort. They don't really get a chance to get out and see the history, the culture, uh, of, of all the things that all the islands have to offer. Yeah, well, I can put a plug in for the Bahamas Historical Society Museum on the corner of Shirley Street and Elizabeth Avenue. And that would be in Nassau, would it? That's in Nassau, okay. yeah. I'm yeah. helping you with the plug here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we have a... The society itself has been um, founded in, in 1959, so we're 57 years old. And... Um, in 1976, the Imperial Order of the Daughters of the Empire could no longer maintain their hall, uh, their entertainment I love hall. that title. Give me that title again, the Imperial Order? The Imperial Order of the Daughters of the Empire. And you will never mess with that empire. <laughs> That's right. And we still have an exhibition of them up the stage. Unfortunately, they uh, folded up in 2005. Um, but in 1976, when they finally typically maintained the hall, they... Uh, donated it to the Bahamas Historical Society, and we made a museum out of it. Okay, and it's so a very the, interesting place. Well, that's what I want to ask you. Because it's one thing to say you have a museum. That's also the question: What's inside? I mean, what am I going to learn that most people would never realize until they walk in that door? Well, we have uh, starting out an exhibition of the uh, Lucayans, the um, Native Americans that were first here. Um, it goes round to. Um, the Lutheran adventurers who came in, in um, 1647. Um, Any pirates? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I've got an interesting story about pirates. You know, most people uh, think that Blackbeard is, is the most, uh, he is n notorious and, and most well-known. But the actual uh, pirate who, is, uh, who was the dean of pirates was a man called Benjamin Hornigold. 
and between him he was the most piratey of them all yes he blackbeard was actually his quartermaster on on his ship and then when they captured a, an african slaving ship he gave it to blackbeard the captain and um blackbeard renamed it the queen anne's revenge because he remember the queen anne's war had gone between 1701 and, and 1713. Uh, yeah, I knew that. And they were all privateers. <laughs> and then certainly they came to the Bahamas as, as um, pirates. Um, but, he, but this guy doesn't get a lot of publicity. He doesn't. And it's hard to find anything about him, although there is one guy, I've just forgotten his name at the moment, who's uh, Well, that, research, proves the, that proves the point, yeah. Yeah, he's researching feverishly to find Hornigold's background. But he did get a letter of mark from the governor of Jamaica, so... We feel that he came from Jamaica, and the other big man, Henry Jennings, he was from Bermuda. Jennings um, stole from the Spaniards uh, uh, much gold and silver from a wrecked ship that they had uh, brought up in Florida, and he went and pirated and took the, took the gold and silver from them. And brought it here? And brought it here, yeah. And where is that gold today? <laughs> Dissipated. <laughs> not at the museum. Not at the museum. It's not. We've got no gold in the museum. We've got some <laughs> old coins and, and notes, but no, not that far back. But in terms of the of the pirate legacy here, right? People are still fascinated by it. Yes, yes. Every everyone comes, and they actually have a pirate museum. Um, it's a bit Disney World like, but um, really, yeah. Photos of Johnny Depp, perhaps? No, no, no. no. Well, they might have. No, uh, I haven't been in be, for a while. Could be, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, it, they have a model of a pirate ship that you know that you can walk aboard and and dress up, and they got all kinds of gimmicks, you know, which is which is nice. But no gimmicks at your museum. No, no, <laughs> just the real history. Yeah. <laughs> what about the Bahamian history, other than pirates, is a surprise to people here? Well, the loyalists came um, in 1783 after the um, Civil War, actually. They doubled the population and tripled the slave population. So that was a big, big change for the Bahamas. And so much of the Bahamian history here really came from the southern part of the United States when they moved down. Yes, yes. And um, that includes the food? That includes the music? Um, I'm not so sure about music, but buildings, yes. architecture. Uh, Very similar to that, yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? You know, I remember the original days of me coming down to the Bahamas, and let me give you an idea of what the menu selection was. Uh, mahi mahi, and mahi mahi, and uh, and uh, chicken fingers. My uh, my next guest uh, knows a little bit about what it shouldn't be. <laughs> He's the executive sous chef here at Atlantis, uh, Gary O'Connor. Hey Gary, how are you? Good morning, Peter. How are you today? I'm fine. So, uh, bottom line here is uh, the menu's changed a little bit, hasn't it? It has a little bit, yeah. Just has. a little bit. Just a little bit. Because because your sourcing has changed. You've, you've been able to, I mean, right now, I mean, there's probably nothing you can't get. No, we fly in and bring in food from all over the world. What's the biggest surprise item on your menu that, that people are not expecting to see? Right now on 77 West, uh, we have a little bit of a surprise. It's, a, um, it's an empanada. It's filled with uh, jerked um, duck confit. 
Do you do the jerk here? Yes, we do. So it's Bahamian jerk duck. Right. As opposed to jerk chicken. Exactly. Wow, that's a change. Yeah. A little spicy? It's very spicy. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. But it's cooled down with a nice uh, avocado and uh, a mango salsa. But it does have a kick to it. It's got a little kick. All right. Now, you don't come from this part of the world, do you? Not at all. No. no you're a Canadian. Guy. I am Canadian. So I should speak more slowly. And I'm kidding. I'm kidding. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. A. 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 Thank you. Out. <laughs> a boot. <laughs> a boot. <laughs> Any Canadian dishes on the menu that you snuck in? No, not yet. The chef wouldn't let me. Really? Okay. <laughs> but you tried. I just came here a little while ago. So but you tried. But I you tried. tried. I, I'm still trying. If you could sneak one in, what would it be? Okay, I did a little potato skin on a new menu that I just put in. Okay, tell me what's the difference about that. What's okay, on? I took a potato skin, I saw a whole potato, I hollowed it out, and I put um, a yuzu crab chive mousse and topped it with some smoked salmon. And he wouldn't let you put it on the menu? No, it's on the menu. Oh, good. Okay, just yeah. double checking. Yeah. That sounds great. It is great. Yeah. You know why? Because it doesn't sound like it's too spicy. It's not spicy. It's cooling. But it's got a little nice lemon, the fresh crab, the smoked salmon. But it's in a potato skin, so it's hot and cold. It's got a nice texture. Now, Great flavor. I have to ask this question because I get mad at my fellow Americans who think that they're going to come all the way down here and just have a cheeseburger. You know, I mean, are they trying to get more? You know, Terry Gallagher is in the corner here raising his hand. You should be ashamed of yourself, Terry. But the point is... You're seeing, you have to satisfy that demand as well. We're seeing more and more uh, requests for healthy food, especially on the outdoors where uh, it's fast food. You know, you're at, you're at a pool. But um, my guests are constantly uh, asking me for, uh, for more healthy options. So we're looking at salads, you know, Asian tuna salads, beef Thai salads, that kind of thing. Um, just bringing the health level up. So consciousness is raising. Although you do have on the menu things like chicken and waffles. I do. But it's a blue corn waffle, all natural, <laughs> right? Tempura fried chicken, agave syrup, cilantro mojo. It's awesome. You have to try it. Chicken and waffles. Chicken and waffles. And, and, and that's not really a traditional Bahamian dish, is it? Uh, slightly left field. Slightly, yes. Like big left field. Okay. What's the Bahamian dish you have on the menu? We do have a, a play on uh, lobster. It's a cracked lobster. We've taken the uh, lobster and... Uh, and taken it out of the shell and tempura fried it and served it with uh, some sofrito. So we've definitely gone left to feel a little bit there, but it is a lobster dish. There's also um, 77 West really clues on uh, fusion of Peruvian, South American, Mexican so you've got a, with you have, the Bahamian. So you have a mean ceviche. We have a killer ceviche. We have a killer ceviche. Okay, but, what, we, but what's in that ceviche? Well, the 77 West ceviche has yellowtail hamachi, which takes an Asian fish and blends it with coconut right sweet potato um and uh papaya wow yeah it's amazing is there an item here on the menu i always ask this of every chef so you're no exception to this rule is there an item here that you put on the menu that you thought people are going to love this and it absolutely tanked and is there an item here that you thought who's going to order this and people can't get enough of it right absolutely the shrimp dish which is flamed with tequila i mean you think shrimp and tequila flamed Awesome. Every time I think of shrimp, of course I think of tequila. Of course, yeah. right? Um, kind of sits there in the middle. I think it's because we have such a solid selection of seafood. Um, we have a great sea bass dish from Chile. Uh, we have the grouper on the menu. Um, I'm sorry, I'm looking. I don't see any Mai Mai. Uh, but um, <laughs> we, all, we also have a great selection of grill items. So you can have uh, a very clean, healthy grill item instead of a full plate dish, no matter what you like. So the grill items have actually been... 
um, quite popular because they come with the sides. You can mix up your sides, which gives you the option of coming in several times and having different dishes. All right, so now I have to ask a, a stupid question, but of course an American question. You have mac and cheese? We do. You right. have to have mac and cheese. Okay, but do you have a four-cheese mac and cheese? Um, no. no, but it is have Mexican cheese in it. What, what, what kind of cheese? Cotilla. Okay, but you could do a four-cheese mac and cheese. We could if you wanted. If someone would ask you like on a, on a radio show, Mm-hmm. To do a mac, you could you could do that. I could go right now. And do it. <laughs> like right now. Right now. <laughs> you see, you got to have the truffle and the exactly mac, right. You got to have the truffle. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder... Why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.